Welcome to Walk by Faith. Our program tonight is Gospel of John. My name is Gordon Peck. I'm the Director of Evangelization Programs at St. Malachy Church. St. Malachy, along with St. Paul of Tarsus, St. Ronald, and St. Thecla, are part of a family of parishes in the Archdiocese of Detroit. Father Joseph Gambala is our moderator. As in all things, let us begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, you gave us your Son to bring the Word into our world. Open our hearts that your will might enter into us and motivate us to share what we learn with a world struggling for meaning. Holy Spirit, guide us in this Bible study and lead us to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. The Gospel of John, Part 3, will cover chapters 9 through 16. Our first story is the sixth sign, or healing the man born blind. Beginning in the ninth chapter of John's Gospel, at verse 1, we read, As he, meaning Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither he nor his parents sinned. It is so that the works of God might be made visible through him. We have to do the works of the one who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and smeared the clay on the man's eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and he washed and he came back able to see. Now, Jesus and his disciples come across the blind man and the disciples asked, who sinned? Well, at that time, they believed that if you were crippled or um, uh, had some big problem or you were poor or destitute, that it was because you had committed some sin or perhaps your parents had committed a sin. So Jesus begins to teach on the difference between human blindness and spiritual blindness. So the man goes to the pool and he washes. He does not doubt or object to Jesus' instructions, and he's healed and he can see. His neighbors and those who had seen him earlier as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is. But others said, no, he just looks like him. He said, I am. So they said to him, so how were your eyes opened? And he replied, the man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and told me, go to Salome and wash. So I went there and washed and was able to see. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought the one who was once blind to the Pharisees. Now, Jesus had made clay and opened his eyes on a Sabbath. So then the Pharisees also asked him how he was able to see. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and now I can see. So some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinful man do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you have to say about him? since he opened your eyes. He said, he is a prophet. Now the man's neighbors questioned him, how was this done? 
And the formerly blind man tells them Jesus did it. Now, Jesus is well known to the crowd. He has healed many people in Jerusalem before. This isn't the first time he's, he's uh, uh, performed a miracle in their sight. So the Pharisees asked how this has come to be. But they seem more intent on finding fault with Jesus over the Sabbath and doing any kind of work, any kind of task on the Sabbath than to understand what has truly happened here. The Pharisees are divided. Some of them ask him again, how did he open your eyes? And the man replies, he is a prophet. Now, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and gained his sight until they summoned his parents uh, and, and questioned him. And they asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered and said, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. We do not know how he sees now, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He can speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone acknowledged him, meaning Jesus, as the Messiah, they would be expelled from the synagogue. And so for this reason, his parents said, he is of age. Question him. So a second time they called the man who had been born blind, and they said to him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He replied, if he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is that I was born blind, and now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? We know that God spoke to Moses, but we do not know where this one is from. The man answered and said to them, this is what is so amazing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. You know that God does not listen to sinners, but if one is devout and does his will, he listens to him. It is unheard of that anyone ever opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he would not be able to do anything. And they answered him and said to him, you were born totally in sin and are trying to teach us. And then they threw him out. So the Pharisees doubt the man was ever blind. And so they sent for his parents. And the parents are afraid to answer because they've already been told that anybody who listens to or follows Jesus will be put out of the synagogue. And the Pharisees then bring the man in a second time and they question him. And they tell him that Jesus is a sinner. And the man says, that's amazing. You don't know where he's from, and yet he can do these miracles. And the man tells his story again, and he asks if the Pharisees want to become disciples of Jesus, kind of suggesting that maybe they should open their eyes and see who is in front of them. But the Pharisees don't. They get angry, and they throw the man out. Now, when Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he found him, and he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered and said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, I do believe, Lord, and he worshiped him. Then Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see might see, and those who do see might become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him, they're always shadowing him, heard this, and they said to him, surely we are not bl also blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, 
you would have no sin. But now you are saying we see, so your sin remains. So the man learns who Jesus is and he worships him. How, how is this man's reaction so different from the crippled man? Remember the man that Jesus found at the pool of Bethesda and he, he said he could not get down into the pool in time to be healed. He was like afraid to be healed. He didn't want to give up his suffering. But this man is glad to give up his blindness and he worships Jesus. And then the Pharisees who are constantly shadowing, they ask, surely we are not also blind, are we? Well, that's pretty much a self-indicting question because they don't see the truth that's before them. And from their invincible ignorance, they cannot see what Jesus tells them. And he says it would be better for them if they were truly ignorant, that is blind spiritually, and then they would see the truth when it appeared to them. The Pharisees continue to defend their roles as arbiters of the law. They've got important positions. They don't want to give them up. Our next story is the good shepherd. Jesus says, amen, amen, I say to you, whoever does not enter a sheepfold through the gate, but climbs over elsewhere is a thief and a robber. But whoever enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice as he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has driven out all his own, he walks ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. But they will not follow a stranger. They will run away from him because they do not recognize the voice of strangers. Although Jesus used this figure of speech, they did not realize what he was trying to tell them. So Jesus said again, amen, amen, I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. So Jesus uses an example that many of the people who were there would know very well, the care of sheep. There were many shepherds in the land at that time. And and when a lamb is born, a shepherd will pick it up, put it on his shoulder and speak into its ear so that the first human voice that the sheep hears is that of the shepherd. And it will know that voice and follow that voice. Those who are not your spiritual shepherd will not care for you with the love of the shepherd from heaven. That's what Jesus tells them. And then he also says, do not listen to those who will lead you astray. He further says, I am the shepherd, the way, the truth, the gate, the sheep gate to be entered into eternal life for my sheep, those who come to know me. So he continues on in in John chapter 10, verse 10, says, a thief comes only to steal and slaughter and destroy. I came so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A hired man who is not a shepherd and whose sheep are not his own sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away and the wolf catches and scatters them. This is because he works for pay and has no concern for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know mine, and mine know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I will lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. These also I must lead, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, 
because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the power to lay it down and the power to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. Again, there was a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he is possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one possessed. Surely a demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? So I, the good shepherd, will lay down my life for the sheep. There's a, that's what Jesus says. And there's a question there. What does Jesus mean when he says laying down his life? Well, we'll see when we get to the passion. Those who speak evil in the world want to scatter. Scatter, you become easy victims. And that's what Jesus, he's using the sheep analogy to, to teach them. And he says, I am the good shepherd. I know mine and I have other sheep. And what does he mean by that? He means the Gentiles. He, the Jews are the chosen people, but they're not the only people. The Lord is the Lord of all people. I do the Father's will in laying down my life. I have the power to lay it down through sacrificial love and the power to take it up again through resurrection. Some of the listeners believe Jesus is possessed. They think it's crazy talk. But others ask, how can he heal the blind in that case? So the, the past miracles are giving uh, credence to what Jesus is saying, and some people are coming to believe. Now we turn to the seventh sign, or the raising of Lazarus. Now a man was ill. Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And Mary was the one who had anointed the Lord with perfumed oil and dried his, her, his feet with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was ill. So the sisters sent word to him saying, Master, the one you love is ill. When Jesus heard this, he said, This illness is not to end in death, but is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he remained for two days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just trying to stone you, and you want to go back there? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If one walks during the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks at night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus is asleep, but I am going to awaken him. So the disciples said to him, Master, if he is asleep, he will be saved. But Jesus wasn't talking about his, his death while they thought that, but Jesus was talking about his death while they thought that he meant ordinary sleep. So then Jesus said to them clearly, Lazarus has died. And I am glad for you that I was not there, that you may believe. Let us go to him. So Thomas, called Didymus, which means the twin, which meant that he looked like Jesus, he said to his fellow disciples, let us also go to die with him. Now John mentions Mary and the anointing of Jesus with perfumed oils, but he won't write about that until chapter 12. So that comes a little later. Jesus says this illness is not to end in death. So this is very similar to the man born blind because he said he was born blind so that the miracle might be performed upon him that would make you believe. 
So we have a question here. What does Jesus mean by walking during the day and stumbling at night? Well, he is the light of the world. He is truth. Light is truth. And when you walk by day, you will not stumble in life. But if you don't live by the, the light of the world, then you're stumbling in darkness. Another question is, how does Jesus' discourse about the Good Shepherd apply to his return to Judea? Well, he has sheep in Judea that need his attention, and so he will go to them no matter what the risk. Another question, what does Jesus mean when he says, I am glad for you that I was not there? Well, that means that something miraculous is about to happen. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, only about two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. Now, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary sat at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So John mentions Mary and the anointing of Jesus with perfumed oils. Uh, But but that already, I guess I mentioned that's not. Oh, what happened? Did we go the wrong way here? Sorry. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise. Martha said to him, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord. I've come to believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary secretly, saying, The teacher is here and is asking for you. As soon as she heard this, she rose quickly and went to him. For Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still where Mary where Martha had met him. So when the Jews who were with her in the house comforting her saw Mary get up quickly and go out, they followed her, presuming that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he became perturbed and deeply troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Sir, come and see. And Jesus wept. Now, when Martha met Jesus, she expressed faith, but not total understanding. She's a little bit like Peter during the uh, Bread of Life discourse. St. Thomas Aquinas speaks of four different ways in which our belief in the resurrection helps us. First, by removing the sadness occasioned by the death of others. Secondly, by removing the fear of death. Third, by making us diligent in performing good works during our lifetime. And four, by drawing us away from evil. Jesus becomes perturbed. This is the same word used when he experiences the coming of the passion in the Garden of Gethsemane, which we'll read about soon. And upon being taken to the tomb, Jesus wept, which is the shortest sentence in the Bible. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have done something so that this man would not have died? So Jesus perturbed again 
came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay across it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, said to him, Lord, by now there will be a stench. He has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took the stone away, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd here, I have said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, tied hand and foot with burial bands, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. So Jesus said to them, untie him and let him go. Now Jesus says to Martha, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Belief is so important. When Jesus went to Nazareth and, and, and uh, celebrated in the synagogue, he could perform no miracles there because the people knew him so, so well, they didn't believe that he was the son of God. Faith and belief and miracles go together. So a question arises, how much of our understanding begins with belief, with faith? Well, a lot of our understanding has to begin with faith. Then we can understand. If we believe, then we can understand. And Jesus thanks the Father for hearing his prayer audibly for the benefit of the crowd. Lazarus comes out of the tomb. Resuscitated, not resurrected to eternal life, Lazarus will die again, but eternal life is his, and it's ours if we believe in the Son, sent by the Father, as explained in the Bread of Life discourse. When Lazarus comes out of the tomb, it's four days. The Jews had a a belief that after four days, the body begins to corrupt. So Jesus has brought him back from the dead. The next story is, my hour has come. Now John's gospel now shifts with chapter 13 to the, from the public acts that Jesus has been performing to the revelation of his passion. Chapters 13 through 17 uh, have sometimes been referred to as the book of glory, and this will be an extended discourse that he has with his disciples about what is to come. The dialogue occurs in the upper room or the cynical, which is believed in some traditions to have been the home of John Mark's mother, a wealthy widow who lived on a second floor, which was away from the noise and the dust of the street. John does not include the words of consecration of the Eucharist in this gospel, mostly because the Eucharist has been received in mass by believers for over 60 years when he begins to write this gospel. So again, he doesn't write everything that's in the other gospels. Before the feast of Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to pass from this world to the Father. He loved his own in the world, and he loved them to the end. The devil had already induced Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, to hand him over. So during supper, fully aware that the Father had put everything into his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, he rose from supper and took off his outer garments. He took a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with a towel around his waist. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Master, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, 
But you will understand later. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, unless I wash you, you will have no inheritance with me. Simon Peter said to him, Master, then not only my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus said to him, Whoever has bathed has no need except to have his feet washed, for he is clean all over. So you are clean, but not all. For he knew who would betray him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. And he loved them to the end. There's three meanings for the Greek word telos, which is what John's gospel would have been written in Greek originally. And the first meaning is to the end of his life. So he'll love them to the end of his life. The second meaning is to the maximum or full effect. And the third meaning is to the goal, to the mission, which is the father's work of salvation and sending him his son. All three of these meanings are appropriate. The mention of the devil signals the coming showdown. Jesus' hour has come. You remember at the wedding at Cana when Mary said, they have no wine, they've run out of wine. Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. Well, now his hour has come. And then the washing of the feet reminds us of when God said to Moses, take off your sandals. The place you are standing on is holy ground. And so the upper room is indeed holy ground. So we have another question. What does Jesus mean when he says, you will be clean all over? What he means is if you're washed in the spirit, you will be clean all over. But some people resist, like Peter, who will sometimes imply they are too sinful. Surely you're not going to wash my feet. And then others will resist as not needing the washing, not aware of their sinfulness. Jesus tells us unless he washes us, we will not share in his inheritance which is, of course, eternal life. So chapter 13, verse 12, we read, So when he had washed their feet and put his garments back on and reclined at table again, he said to them, Do you realize what I have done for you? You call me teacher and master, and rightly so, for indeed I am. If I, therefore, the master and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you a model to follow, so that as I have done for you, you should also do. Amen, amen, I say to you, no slave is greater than his master, nor any messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you understand this, blessed are you if you do it. I am not speaking of all of you. I know those whom I have chosen. But so that the scripture might be fulfilled, the one who ate my food has raised his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe that I am. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Now, Jesus asks his disciples, do you realize what I have done for you? And they really don't yet, but they will in the days to come. And he says to them, you ought to wash each other's feet. He will also tell them later, love one another as I have loved you. No slave is greater than his master. So they, if the master washes their feet, then they can certainly wash anyone else's feet, which is basically to care for anyone that they encounter who is in need. No messenger is greater than the one who sent him. 
So do not become prideful in your positions as you can become apostles. And blessed are you if you do all that I've instructed you. Whoever receives you receives me and the one who sent me, who is God the Father. When he had said this, Jesus was deeply troubled and testified, Amen, amen, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another at a loss as to whom he meant. And one of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining at Jesus' side. So so Simon Peter nodded to him to find out whom he meant. And he leaned back against Jesus' chest and said to him, Master, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I hand the morsel after I have dipped it. So he dipped the morsel, and he took it, and he handed it to Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot. After he had took the morsel, Satan entered him. So Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, none of those reclining at table realized why he had said this to him. Some that thought that since Judas kept the money bag, Jesus had told him, buy what we need for the feast or give something to the poor. So he took the morsel and he left at once, and it was night. Jesus tells his disciples that one of them will betray him. They all look at each other dumbfounded, and then Peter asked John, who was lying with his head on Jesus' breast, Remember, John was the youngest, maybe only 14 or 15 years old at this time. And Peter asked John, ask Jesus, who is it? And Jesus tells John, it is the one to whom I hand the morsel after I have dipped it, which was a gesture of hospitality to offer food to another at the table. Suddenly, Judas Iscariot gets up and he leaves the dinner very quickly. So the question, when did this occur? What was the significant Why did Jesus, or rather, why did John mention that it was night? Because night is darkness, and Judas was going out into the darkness. We now have a new commandment. So continuing in John chapter 13, we read, When he had left, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and he will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, and I say, I told the Jews, where I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you, so you also should love one another. This is how all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Master, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, though you will follow later. Peter said to him, Master, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Amen, amen, I say to you, The cock will not crow before you deny me three times. So with the departure of Judas, Jesus declares that the time has arrived for Jesus to enter into his glory. And then Jesus tells his disciples that they ought to love one another as he has loved them. He calls this a new commandment. Once a Pharisee asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And he he said the greatest was to love God with all your heart and all your soul 
And then second is to love one another. And so he says it again, they should love one another. And then Jesus, he calls us a new commandment. And then he says, if his disciples do this, others will know that they are truly his disciples. Then Peter asks, where are you going, Jesus? And he declares he would die for Jesus. Well, <clears throat> this is a little bit like the narrative of the, about the good shepherd. Will Peter do that? Will he die for Jesus? Peter does not yet understand about Jesus and about himself. He has much more to learn. So Jesus continues in chapter 14 and says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God, have faith also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If there were not, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you also may be. Where I am going, you know the way. Thomas said to him, Master, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, then you will also know my Father. From now on, you do, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus detects stress amongst the disciples. They're not understanding what he's saying. But he tells them he, he's going to prepare a place for them, and he will return and take them to himself. So Thomas misses the point and confesses he does not know the way. He is thinking in the world. And Jesus explains that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So the question arises, what does he mean by this? The way, the truth, and the life. Well, he does not mean in the world. He means the way to eternal life. He's the truth about eternal life, and he is eternal life. And he is with them. And they don't understand now, but they will very soon. So Philip then says to him, Master, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus says to him, Have I been with you for so long a time, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me is doing his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe because of the works themselves. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and will do greater ones than these because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything of me in my name, I will do it. So Jesus, what happened there? Like the crowds who pressed in on Jesus and did not understand, but came only to see a miracle, Philip's asked to be shown the Father. Like Thomas, he's thinking in the world. So Jesus tells them that they will do greater works than these that they have witnessed. So the question is, what does Jesus mean by this? Well, these apostles will go into the world and they will convert the world and they will spread the faith to the ends of the Roman Empire. Greater works. Jesus will be able to do anything for them after the ascension from heaven as he hears and answers prayers. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you always, 
the spirit of truth, which the world cannot accept, but because it neither sees nor knows it. But you know it because it remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but will but you will see me because I live and you will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and observes them is the one who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and reveal myself to him. And Judas, not the Iscariot, that is Jude, Jude Thaddeus, uh, first cousin of Jesus, says to him, Master, then what happened that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answers and says to him, Whoever loves me will keep the word, keep my word, and my father will love him, and, he, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Yet the word you hear is not mine, but that of the father who sent me. I have told you this while I am with you. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, that the Father will send in my name, he will teach you everything and remind you of all that I told you. So Jesus introduces how love and obedience will work together in his disciples. And he makes the first of five promises of the coming of the Holy Spirit, which like himself, the world cannot accept. But his faithful will know the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and accept him. And we'll see that at Pentecost. And when Jesus returns in the resurrection, the world will not see him. And that is, that is what happens. Not everyone sees him, but the faithful will see him. So again, faith and understanding are linked. St. Augustine probably said it best, I believe in order that I might better understand. John 14, verse 27 Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. You heard me tell you I am going away and I will come back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will no longer speak much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me, but the world must know that I love the Father and that I do just as the Father has commanded me. Get up, let us go. So peace be with you. That's a question. What, when Jesus uses these same words, when will he use them again? He'll use them at the resurrection when he first appears to them. To them. And, and do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. Don't we spend a great deal of our time being troubled and afraid? Jesus knows the hearts of the disciples, and he knows our hearts too. So do not let our hearts be troubled. Now we come to the farewell discourse. John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit. And every one that does, he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. You are already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, 
you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. Here we see John using those uh, comparisons again, the, the form of speech that makes his gospel so so wonderful to interpret. I am the vine, you are the branches. Anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out like a branch and wither. People will gather them and throw them into a fire, and they will be burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father loves me, so also I love you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. So Jesus uses this image of the vine to recall Israel and its special role as the chosen people of God. Uh, The vineyard is the home of Israel. Jesus is the vine. All who stay connected to him will bear good fruit. That is, they will do good works because they are united to the vine, which means they are united to Jesus. They abide in his love in the vine. And you are the branches. So the question is, What does Jesus mean by that? He means that we are meant to go and to spread the word. We are branches that should branch out and continue his mission. So once again, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. And then he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my commandment. Love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have told you everything I have heard from my father. It was not you who chose me, but I who chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. This I command you, love one another. If the world hates you, realize that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, then the world would love its own. But because you do not belong to the world, and I have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, no slave is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And they will do all these things to you on account of my name, not uh, because they do not know the one who sent me. So Jesus repeats the great commandment, love one another. And the question rises, what does Jesus mean by no one can have greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends? Well, he's talking there about sacrificial love. The the shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep and what Jesus will do on Calvary. There is no greater love than sacrificial love. Jesus instructs his disciples as to what he means, what it means to be his follower in the world. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. So the question is, what does Jesus mean by the world? Well, he is in the world, but not of the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. Who is the ruler of the world? The devil is the the ruler of the world. And there's so much in the world 
that is evil and, and can lead us astray. So we need to remember to listen to Jesus and not live by what's in the world. And then he says, um, what he asks the question, what does he mean if they keep your word, they will also keep mine? And he's really saying, you will be apostles. You will spread the word. And if, if they listen to you, they will be listening to me. In verse 22, he continues, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But as it is, they have no excuse for their sins. Whoever hates me also hates my father. If I had not done works among them, that is miracles, that no one else had ever did, they would not have sin. But as it is, they have seen and hated both me and my father. But in order that the word written in their law might be fulfilled, they hated me without cause. And when the advocate comes, whom I will send, that is the Holy Spirit, uh, I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth that proceeds from the Father, he will testify to me, and you also testify, because you have seen me from the beginning. I have told you this so that you may not fall away. They will expel you from the synagogues. In fact, the hour is coming when everyone who kills you will think he is offering worship to God. They will do this because they have not known either the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their hour comes, you will remember that I told you. So Jesus explains why the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests of the Sanhedrin and others remain in their sins. They have seen the miraculous and loving, and they still refuse to believe. Why do they refuse to believe? They're too much in the world. In the world, they are important people. But in God's eyes, they are not, they are not in fellowship with him. They are doing the opposite of what they have studied and been trained. He quotes Psalm 69, uh, verse 5. More numerous than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Those who would destroy me are mighty, my enemies without reason. And that's exactly the way the priests and the Pharisees and the scribes are all acting. Jesus tells them what is coming so that they, meaning the disciples, may be strong in their faith and not fall away. And he also explains to them that all they knew, like the synagogues, will be alien and dangerous for them. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will strengthen them in their future missions. And now we have the promise of the advocate. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to the one who sent me. And not one of you asked me, where are you going? But because I told you this, grief has filled your hearts. But I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I go. For if I do not go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world in regard to sin and righteousness and condemnation. Sin, because they do not believe in me. Righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. Condemnation, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I have much more to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. But when he comes, the spirit of truth, he will guide you to all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak what he hears and will declare to you the things that are coming. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I told you that he will take 
from what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus continues to teach about the coming of the Holy Spirit, who will reveal the divine mystery of Jesus and his accomplishments with his disciples. He predicts that the disciples will mourn and anguish over the coming events. Oh, yes, they will. But they will soon receive the eschatological joy at seeing Jesus again. Eschatological means end times. So they will see the future. They will see what eternity looks like. And the heavenly spirit, the Holy Spirit, will dwell in the disciples uh, and in all who believe. The Holy Spirit will prove the world is wrong about sin, wrong about righteousness or justice, and wrong about condemnation or judgment. The Holy Spirit will show that the priests have been leading the people astray. And Jesus tells the disciples they can ask the Father for anything because they remain in Jesus. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while later, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what does this mean that he is saying to us? A little while, and you you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they said, what is this little while of which he speaks? We do not know what he means. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, are you discussing with one another what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Amen, amen. I say to you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will become joy. The world will rejoice because they'll be rid of Jesus. All the Pharisees and the scribes will get what they want, and but the disciples will be in grief, but their grief will soon turn to joy. And then Jesus explains, when a woman is in labor, she is in anguish because her hour has arrived. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the pain because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. So you also are new in anguish, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. On that day, you will not question me about anything. Amen, amen, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. So Jesus tells them that in a little while they will not see him and they will mourn and weep and the world will rejoice because he's no longer around to to, uh, point at their sins. But the disciples' grief will turn to joy when they see him again and they don't understand. So he uses this image of of a woman about to give birth and how the, the birth and the, and the labor is distressing and painful, but afterward the joy is so great that a child has entered the world. So Jesus also tells them they will understand on that day and they'll have no need to question him further because they will see and they will believe. I have told you this in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you clearly about the Father. On that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not tell you that I will ask the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and come to believe that I came from the Father. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. His disciples said, now you are talking plainly and not in any figure of speech. Now we realize that you know everything 
and that you do not need to have anyone question you. Because of this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you believe now? Behold, the hour is coming and has arrived when each of you will be scattered to his own home, and you will leave me alone. But I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you this so that you might have peace in me. In the world you will have trouble, but take courage, I have conquered the world. So in summary, what we learned tonight was that Jesus began by healing a blind man, and some question whether he's blind in the first place. Some doubt miracles. Many will doubt miracles, but miracles do exist, and they still occur even in our day. So is it because of his sins or his parents' sins they ask they don't understand? And then Jesus teaches the people and the disciples that he is the good shepherd, and he, and he talks about the good shepherd and uh, how he lays down his life for his sheep, and he will demonstrate that in the Passion. And the seventh and final sign uh, in Jesus's gospel, John, Joseph, in John's gospel, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and he shows us that we too can overcome death if we believe in him and live as he's commanded us. Jesus steps out of the public scrutiny, and then he takes his disciples to the upper room, and he talks to them at some length about what is to come, about how his hour has come, and he, and he, um, and he gives them a new commandment, and the new commandment is to love one another as I have loved you. And then he imparts his farewell discourse and the promise of the advocate or the coming of the Holy Spirit. So let us conclude in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Peace be with you. Thanks for listening.